Welcome to The Q, Conversations in Digital Media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Our next episode is queued up and ready to roll. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the queue, everyone. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media. Q1 Media partners with agencies and brands all across the nation for all of their digital marketing needs, whether that's CTV, OTT forecasting, location-based mobile device AD targeting, search engine marketing, targeted display, whether it's BT, contextual, conversational, or just whatever research and data you might need, definitely hit up Q1 Media for all your marketing efforts. Please check out Q1 Media's website at q1media.com. That's Q, the number one, media.com, where you can download case studies or just uh, maybe even listen to episodes of the podcast. So definitely check us out online. This episode of the podcast, we had uh, two guests on, our first two guest taping, which is uh, a landmark for us here in the queue. Uh, we had Dennis Ayat and Sylvia Trevino from the Anderson Marketing Group in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, they talked to us a little bit about how they got started in the space, uh, you know, maybe how they kind of fell into it, how the advertising uh, space has changed over the course of the years, and really discussed to us, and really in particular if you're an agency out there and you're interested in wondering how to keep a good culture, a good running agency, they really talked to us about how to uh, be client-centric how you really should treat your clients as more partners, and really how to select vendors that you might work with on a regular basis, and how to decipher who really knows what's going on in the space and who doesn't. So it was a great, great conversation with them. I hope you guys enjoy it. You're in the queue. Thanks for joining us, Sylvia Dennis, on the queue. Uh, so you mentioned you just drove up from San Antonio, and the last time you came to town was seeing Paul McCartney. Yep. Not exactly <laughs> Paul McCartney-esque here for the queue, no. joining, but it's uh, close. It's close. That's not. Right. Well, I don't know if I can do any like dancing across stage or anything like that. But uh, that's uh, so. How was that concert? Was it? Oh, it was the best. Yeah, a lot of fun. Paul McCartney's. It's yeah. Paul McCartney. So that's great. Uh, well, yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, about you. Where where you're from? Are you from San Antonio? Yep, born and raised in San Antonio. Um, yeah, grew up. My dad was in the service. We traveled around a little bit, but my family and my mom and dad's family have always lived. My grandparents always lived in San Antonio, so we always had a home base, and we always had a home. We never, we always saved our home. We moved to Alabama and other places, um, but yeah, San Antonio's home, born and raised, and um, I like it. It's a small kind of big town. <laughs> You're right. It does have that feel to it. Yeah. Dennis, you the same? Or you... No, I'm actually from Houston, so but I've been in San Antonio for like 15 years now, so I went out there for school and just ended up staying and kind of fell in love with the city, like Sil said. It's, uh, you know, got that small town, big city, you know, vibe, so coming from Houston, you know, my parents were divorced, so I was like, one lived on the north side, one lived on the south side, so it's like an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, just, it was like crazy, so... San Antonio, you can get like anywhere in 20 minutes, which is great. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's good. How does it how does it keep that feel? I, they just do a good job. I mean, you come to Austin and the infrastructure is really bad, and there's not. I just don't think we have a lot of people who are like are moving there. It's still kind of like a nice little secret, because property yeah. values there are like you know great and everything is is good. So it just I don't know. It's I don't know either. It's been I, I 
I think I, I feel like it's always been that way. Like we've lived, I've lived in some cool little places. Like I lived in Hawaii, but it, but San Antonio is always home. It just always felt better. The other places are cooler. Me might need yeah. to visit or whatever, but it, you're, it's, you know, it's a good place to raise your kids, and you know things don't. They, they kind of just sort of stays the same. But that's not like we're like living in the sticks or anything. But yeah. it just feels homey. Yeah. Did uh so did your dad's uh, service take you to Hawaii? Yes, my dad was in the service. He was in the army, but he flew helicopters. So he was stationed at Hickam Air Force Base, and I went to school in a little place called Mililani. I was 17 years old and loved it. Oh, of course, <laughs> it that's great. a great yeah. time to be in Hawaii. Yep. <laughs> it's <laughs> your swimming and doing all, getting into trouble, doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing at the age of 17. <laughs> But it was fun. <laughs> Never. We don't need to talk about it. On it doesn't need to be recorded. It doesn't right. need to be. Uh, None of it was bad. But not like yeah. driving without a license and doing things like that. I wasn't oh. supposed to do. Like my father would say, "Don't take the car." And it was the first thing I did. Oh, you're a military kid. <laughs> Driving right. without a license is the worst you ever yeah. did. Yeah, and on a, on a military basis, and we're a good a good thing to do either. But I did it anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, then, uh, so what brought you all back? I mean, you came for school, Dennis, right. um, But what brought you back to San Antonio? Um, like I said, my grandparents were there, you know, I might, but it has always just been home. I don't think mm-hmm. I ever thought about living anywhere else because that's where I grew up. That's where I went to school. And, and then and I would just always, we always came back. My, we lived in North Carolina, Alabama, you know, my dad was in special forces for a lot of the time too. And we weren't able to go with him to do some of the things he did. And like he was, he did three tours in Vietnam. So we, you know, we always had a home and San Antonio was it. So I think that's why I'm, I never really wanted to go anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, great, like you said, it's got that small town feel, which mm-hmm. is just a, it's a nice community. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, welcoming. There's, there's not, it's got, it's a fair, very family oriented yeah. town. And the um, food scene has exploded oh, over the yeah. last like 10 years. So, yeah. you know, we're a sleeper city, I think, when it comes to like culinary stuff. And so I think Austin gets a lot of love, but, you know, San Antonio <clears throat> has some really, really good restaurants. There's also a, a taco battle, taco war oh, yeah. between San Antonio and Austin. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I guess what would be your favorite taco place in San Antonio? Ooh. Or just Tex-Mex? Or, nah, what do you go? We can go traditional Mexican Well, if food. it's breakfast tacos, there's a little spot down the street from my house called uh, Rosita's Mexican Restaurant. Okay. And that's typically where you can find solid, you know, breakfast tacos. It's those little kind of taquerias, the mm-hmm. little hole in the walls, because typically they're going to have the homemade tortillas and all that. Yeah, we have some of the bigger chains. Like, we do Taco Wednesday um, at the agency every Wednesday, and we get tacos from Las Palapas, which are actually pretty good. Yeah. They're kind of like a bigger chain, but um, for sure, I like I, I liked the little taquerias, and Rosita's down the street is, like, perfect. Yeah, and so. Teca. Teca's a good place, too. Oh, Teca Molino. Teca Molino mm-hmm. is a uh, local restaurant, too, um, but they, they make their own... They grind and make their own corn, so everything they make, like their, their puffy tacos, their taco shells, all that stuff is done... Uh, like homemade and on the premise and it's great so i like i like their they have these things they call bean rolls so yeah. it's just corn tortilla with refried beans in it and roll they, they kind of soft fry the the tortilla and then roll the beans in it delicious <laughs> yeah bean rolls are awesome oh my god yeah you know so, you could start a podcast called uh-huh. dennis and sylvia or sylvia, <laughs> yes. sylvia dennis oh yeah hey we go down this road all the time yeah. we could talk about movies and food movies and all food. day oh man yeah. okay well we'll so. get into that we'll get into the, the movies and food part that's definitely there's a lot of people who care about that so yeah. sure. you guys have a market those are important yeah. things yeah <laughs> that's awesome so we'll get into the boring stuff no i'm kidding uh so what got you into marketing i, I guess Sylvia, you can go first. I, what, what made you interest you? I kind of got into marketing or advertising and being a media planner kind of on accident. Mm-hmm. I started out um, working for JCPenney 
uh, when I was a kid, I went all through high school and, and through going through school, worked for JCPenney, went through their management training program. But then when I had my son, they weren't really family oriented. I was a single mom. And so I used to worry, whereas I could work from store open to store closed before I had a child, that didn't happen. And they were just like, well, you don't work. Like they questioned my work ethic because now I was somebody's mother. And so I ended up leaving them. And, oh, isn't that um, crazy how yeah. times have changed? That's just yeah, insane. Like, and you know what? You have somebody who stays home with your child. I have to pick my boy up from daycare, so I need to leave at five. So it just kind of was weird. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to stay here. And so I got into working for... Um, Six Flags, and I kind of, that was an accident too. It's something I wanted to do part-time, and it snowballed into a full-time job for a bit. I was an admissions supervisor, so we took care of all the revenue intake for, from, from the start of parking all the way into the park, and all guest customer complaints, which is kind of from my background at Penny's. Oh, great, a theme park customer yeah. complaints. I'm sure that there's... Oh, all day, but you know what? It was a, That was probably the best job. It was awesome because I was outside every day, and I had 250 juvenile employees, <laughs> and some, you know, it went from like being 17 to being, you know, 75 years old, so we this whole great gamut of, of people, I loved it. It was so much fun at... Um, from 95 till about 98. That was at Fiesta, Texas, right? Yes, before mm-hmm. it became um, Six Flags and what it is now. Um, it's, it's very, very different from when we started it when, it, when we opened it. But then I, a friend of mine who worked with me at Six Flags was working for an advertising agency, and she said that they needed some help with organization. So I went in, and I'm like, look, as long as you know that I'm looking for a full-time job, I'm happy to do this till I get a job. And so I did that. And then when I, on my, when I was leaving, the, I, when I got a full-time job, um, they offered me a job to stay, and then and it gave me really the only tangible skill I have. So I, that's how I got into it. I, I the the person who ran the agency sent me to media school in Dallas for like it's this little two day seminar, so I could learn the lingo because I didn't know you know what CPM, CPP, any of that. It was like a different language to me. So he sent me to learn to do all that, and then taught me you know the art of negotiation. We'll say, and then. Um, <laughs> Then from there, I went to work for another agency that was very, very different because one was based on like getting down to the like doing hardcore negotiation and getting your lowest cost and all that sort of thing. And then to another one, which was more like a science learning about methodology and what that number meant and how do you get to this number and where do these people come from? Nielsen and, and so all the other yeah, tracking. So I worked for Media Rare um, with a, with Justina and uh, Justina Schmidt and Tony Bell, who are no longer in the business, but they were really great mentors. And so they taught me a lot. And then I ended up at Anderson shortly thereafter. That's great. Yeah. So I guess uh, to to, pick, to to piggyback off what you were saying with the, the learning, the CPMs and all that stuff, at that time, was it commonplace to know all that? I mean, to have to base all your uh, buys off of that, or was it mostly GRPs? Oh, or Yeah, I had, to, I had to learn what the, I didn't even what those, know what those were yeah. either, but most of it was based on like, like cost per point, getting down mm-hmm. to the lowest cost per point. And, you know, I had no idea what, I knew what a rating was, and could, but I didn't know what it, where it come from, where it came from. Like, what was the methodology? How did, what did it represent? It was, to me, it was just a number. And um, when I went to work for Tony and Justina, they're like, no, 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 that, you have to understand what that number means. And, and so they made me understand it from like a, a truly scientific sort of way. Yeah. And then, and then I really, I enjoyed it a whole lot more because it, it became much more meaningful to me. It wasn't just about, you know, numbers and dots. It, it, it began to make more sense to me. So I had a good time. We, and they primarily focused on doing Hispanic um, marketing and, ad, and um, writing plans. We, they were a buying service. So they worked for different um, agencies. And so 
they were really doing that before lots of other people were, and so it was kind of cool to do that. We did some cool studies with Audi and the CDC and um, Transamerica, all in Spanish language, and wrote uh-huh. some really cool plans and did some fun stuff with them. Were they mostly traditional uh, advertising no. at that time? Yeah, well, the digital was starting to come. I mean, email was probably one of the bigger mm. things at that time um, <laughs> that, that was coming up, but it's way before 2003. But um, yeah, but they but they they made me understand that you know you can look at things and you know print and TV and radio and all those things have places and in, in and but you have to understand the people and what motivates them to want to do one of those other things and so that, that I really enjoyed they were they I think they were kind of some unsung heroes in San Antonio Tony um, and Justina were really really ahead of their times and both very sharp Justina's no longer with us um, she passed away um, from cancer. But um, both of them were really super bright ladies and made me really understand it, that it was like a you know, a discipline. It wasn't mm-hmm. just something you dabbled in. That it, there was meaning behind what you did and that it mattered. And I really learned a lot from them. Yeah, that's crazy how you think about it. And it is just all made up stuff out here in the space. <laughs> it is. It does mean something mm-hmm. and it does have effectiveness. and. Mm-hmm. All the different mediums do uh, from some level. Uh, so, Dennis, how did you get, what, what piqued your interest in the advertising space? Um, well, it was, I guess, more kind of by necessity and then just networking kind of worked itself out. Because originally, um, after college, I was a reporter. So I was a reporter for seven years and an editor. Um, and so I was real fortunate to, I covered sports and entertainment. So literally my job for you know, four years was to go to every single Spurs game and go see like three or four movies a week to review and critique. So that's not um, a bad gig. Yeah, it wasn't a bad gig at all. And the other thing, you know, I, I, for like seven years, I didn't miss an Austin City Limits or a South by or anything regionally that I could go to, you know, I would definitely, you know, try to go. I was, you know, single in my early 20s. So it was <clears throat> definitely uh, a lot more conducive at that time. And then you know, over time, it was a print publication. So, um, you know, over time, probably year like five or six, you start kind of see the writing on the wall where print was going. Um, it just didn't have the reach it used to. Digital was becoming a main player, social media, all that stuff. Um, so I started to kind of get into the the advertising side of it or the marketing. Like, how do we market the paper, like in a digital sense? Like, how do we go from print to, you know, the digital space? So um, while I was still reporting in an editor, you know, they gave me the flexibility to start looking at that stuff. Like, how do we start branding our social media channels? Because <clears throat> I'll remember the day I went to my editor and was like, hey, I want to use Twitter as a source for this article. You know, and it was like a sports story. And I think it was like somebody from the Rangers had tweeted, you know, some breaking news. And um, they kind of laughed me out of the room. And then three years later, it's like, boom, Twitter was the spot for news. So it was interesting to, to kind of see that and how it changed. And so um, but then I ended up meeting, you know, my now wife and things were getting serious. And so, you know, the pay wasn't um, great. While all the benefits were awesome. Right. I'm getting to meet childhood heroes and interview all these celebrities like that stuff was awesome. But it just, you know, wasn't paying the bills at the level I wanted to. Um, and then at that point, um, you know, I kind of started looking around for like other jobs in kind of the same space, like at different stations or other, you know, news pubs. Um, but I'd also during that time, it started a um, nonprofit that was part of the ad fed. It was called Ad to San Antonio. And so it was um, for um, 
advertising professionals that were 32 and under. So at that time in my life, I think it was like 25, 26, I was just looking for like like-minded folks who shared kind of the same ambitions and goals as I did. So I was fortunate to uh, meet a lot of like outstanding people that were way smarter than me. And we built this board and we built this organization. And it was like a beautiful thing. We were, you know, meeting new people and networking. And so through that, uh, one of my good friends was at um, an agency in town and they needed someone to come in and take over a pretty large account. It was actually the Spurs Sports and Entertainment. And so um, they were having trouble filling, you know, the role. And so she said, hey, I think you might be a good fit for this. Would you be, you know, interested in making the transition? And so I said, you know, sure. And I kind of went in with low expectations, you know, not really, you know, putting a whole lot of stake into it because I'd never worked in an advertising agency per se. So I uh, went in for the interview. Everything worked out. I ended up getting the job. And so uh, managed the Spurs count for like two and a half years. They ended up building an in-house kind of creative team and agency, and they took most everything in-house. So we ended up losing that account. And then I started working on some smaller, you know, local brands. Um, and so over time, I just... You know, I kind of missed working on, you know, like the bigger stuff, like a, a more national brand. And so I just started looking around at other agencies in San Antonio. And then that was when the opportunity at Anderson came up. Um, and really going back to like the networking at Ad2, like I knew Kim Grisham, our president, um, Surette Shook Kelly, our um, director of accounts. Um, they were always just big fans of me. I don't know why, <laughs> but they always like <laughs> championed like what I did. And so um, it's I all came, those famous people that rubbed off. Right? I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, went in for the interview uh, with Anderson and then, um, you know, ended up getting the job and really lucked out when I started because um, I picked up some really great accounts like uh, Freetail Brewing Company, uh, Valero Alamo Bowl. Uh, we have some local criminal attorneys we represent, Hyatt at the time. Um, so it was a really nice like client list to kind of step into. And then just most recently, um, about what, three months ago now, um, I got tapped to take over the Alamo Colleges account. And so um, that's something that we work closely with you guys on. And so um, it's kind of why we're here today. We went through kind of all our conversations and meetings, just figuring out like, how do we take our campaigns? How do we scale them? How do we, you know, use the data that we're getting to influence like further decisions, right? Because one thing that we're always looking at as marketers is, you know, okay, we placed the media, it's run, it was successful. And sometimes it stops there, right? Mm -hmm. But what we're trying to do is, how do we take those learnings, those insights, and then take it to that next step of, you know, optimizing it once the campaign's over? How can we use it to influence, you know, future campaigns? So um, not to go off on a tangent, but anyway, so I'm in no, Anderson Marketing now and, and you know, um, I love it there. We get a lot of opportunity to kind of, um, you know, be ourselves and um, really use your expertise and, and flourish because Sylvie and I, funny enough, we used to work at the agency that I came from. She was there before me, and then mm -hmm. I came in. Yeah, so <laughs> we understand how it worked there and, and compared to Anderson, yeah. and, it's, and it's a lot different. And um, you can tell, because since I've been at you know Anderson, I've just been um, kind of let the reins off and been able to, to run with a lot of things, and I think it's worked out. So Yeah, we have a lot of autonomy. We're allowed to you know think for ourselves. We're not like shoved into a hole and you have to do it this way or whatever. Um, so you know we're allowed to share our thoughts and, and you know, you're not just told what to do and you show up and you do as you're told and whatever. So we have a lot of autonomy and Kim is cool to us. We get to have 
dogs come to work. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, always a good thing. Yes. Yeah, taco we, Wednesdays. Pretty, pretty, pretty half day Fridays. Half day Fridays. Hallelujah. <laughs> Every so. Friday we get out at noon year round, yeah. not just in the summer. Lots of places do it just for summer, but yeah. we get to do it year round, and it's provided you've got everything you need to get done. But yeah. how do you think great that is that magic recipe? Because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are in the agency space, right. and they're probably not in the situation y'all are in. Like, what do you think creates that I that think- environment? I think it's just leadership trusting you because so not only do we work half day Fridays, we're only required to work seven and a half hour days. So we work 830 to five. Right. And so kind of from a new perspective, like outside coming, it's interesting you ask that because we uh, we just did a, a interviews for a new social media specialist. And that was one of the questions that was coming up. And from my perspective, you know, I think it boils down to trust and, um, you know, Kim and leadership saying like, we hired you for a reason and you know these are our work hours and we're confident that you'll accomplish all your work within those hours. So what it does, it pushes us to be more efficient, you know, within that time. Cause I wanna be able to leave at five, right? I wanna be able to leave at noon on Friday. So um, <clears throat> by, you know, trusting us, I think it empowers us to say, okay, how do I find efficiencies in my work? You know, how can I be more productive within this time? But the same token, it's not as bad to have to stay late because the culture at Anderson is, you know, and I love it because our COO, Julius Germano, he'll come around five o'clock and tap on your desk and say, time to get out of here, right? As opposed to other agencies, it's like, how late are you staying yeah, today? They right. grind and, and go through a lot of, um, say, people out of college that are just wanting to get their chops. They see this big agency and they're just grinding them until yeah. like 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons. I mean, next year Anderson will be around for 50 years. Right. And we've had clients for like 30 plus years, right? So um, I think it speaks to, you know, just... Um, Chuck Anderson and his father, Jim Anderson, and kind of how they built the agency and like culturally, you know, because I think a lot of, you know, places talk about maybe doing stuff like that, but they just don't ever implement it because they're, you know, afraid that, you know, they're not going to be able to get the work done within the week. But, you know, there's always going to be work to be done. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, yeah, and I think that the, the, the beauty of that is, too, is that we're treated like individuals too. like what Dennis needs for whatever his reasons, personal reasons, you know, Kim will listen to us, but you know, if something happens with your family or your mom, or my, like uh, my grandmother passed away, and I remember they let me, I was gone a whole week, and nobody called to ask me where was this, what was that. So they, they have a respect for us as people, too, and they and, and that's hard to come by. I worked for Anderson for, I went to work with them in like 2004 and left in uh, 2012 to work for another little agency that was starting up for, for, for a little while. But I ended up coming back, and thank God they let me come back. They took me back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, you can always because, be a boomerang. <laughs> Boomerangs because, are great. <laughs> because, you know, you, you do, you know, you don't realize how how awesome that is to have somebody really understand that, you know, you need that time. Or for whatever's going on in your life personally, they're awesome to us about when things are hard or difficult like that. They treat you like the person that you are. You're like you're like, you can't just, just do what you need to do and then go home and cry about that later. No, they, they recognize that, you know, you can't put some of that stuff away. You know, you have, you're a person. That stuff stays in your mind. And so they, they do that. I think that has a lot to do with it, too, because mm-hmm. they, they, they treat us like individuals. We have policies and, you know, PTO time and all that stuff. But, you know, when you need something or something, you know, out of the ordinary happens to you, that, that's taken into consideration. And that most people don't do that. So yeah. it's really nice. And I think, you know, they do a great job of hiring, right? I mean, just 
Yes, I was, because they have us. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> I was hiring the gatekeepers. So I was fortunate enough to be in our last kind of you know round of interviews for our social media specialists and just the way kind of they approach it and you know it's just um, there's a formality to it, but it's also very informal, right? Because we want people to be comfortable in themselves and like I think the average um, tenure for employees like thirteen and a half years. Wow. You yeah, know, so true. it's yeah, people have been there for a very long time and. Um, so you find that's so, changing? I mean, you said your first stint in 2002, you said, to 2012? I think I, tried, I think I started in 2000. Tony closed Media Rare like around 2000, so, so somewhere between 2003 and 2004. Uh -huh. And then I took a short three-year hiatus from uh, 2012, and then I came back in 15. And, um, Do you feel like there, there are different type, like the questions that are being asked, people are maybe wanting different types of things out of their agencies uh, then? Oh, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I think that um, because, you know, with the advent of, you know, with, with digital being what it is and everybody, you know, there's digital agencies everywhere and people have different specialties and niches. So to be a full service agency like us, we're kind of like, you know, we've been around for 50 years because we've had a lot of diverse client verticals. So we're not all in automotive or all mm -hmm. in education. We have you know, a huge diverse uh, set of client lists. I think that's that's been uh, part of the reason Anderson has been around for as long as they have. And I just, you know, I think that they, they do put their clients first. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I think they t approach it more like a, a partnership rather than just yeah. we do this for you mm -hmm. and this is what you pay us to do for you. Or we, we do kind of like a holistic sort of thing for people. And I think that makes it more enjoyable. Too. Yeah, and to go back to talk about like the the change. So, you know, when I my last agency I was at, they were very much just traditional and there wasn't really a digital aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And so coming over from the paper I was at, you know, being able to kind of dive into that space while I was there, I was able to kind of take some of that over and kind of <clears throat> understand, like, how to apply some of those principles to the advertising space, right? And then at that time, we're getting more clients that are needing this digital, you know, needs. So um, being able to kind of get my own education from that standpoint and then help clients has been at that agency was great and then coming over to Anderson where they already had something established and being able to plug in and kind of uh, work with them was has been great because we do have a diverse client list and you know some are still focusing a lot on you know tr traditional like their bread and butter is you know out of home but then we're getting other clients where we're seeing their budget shift and so how are we being thought leaders in that space how are we you know um, how do you stay up on that I mean do, do, how do you stay up on greeting the tea leaves read <laughs> yeah, so I work constantly, you know, sharing different articles on, on things that's, you know, what's happening in the digital space, right? Whether it's a change in the Google al algorithm or it's Instagram getting rid of the like button or, you know, um, TikTok has been like on my brain, like nonstop lately. It's like, I want to know more about TikTok and how we can, you know. Um, what is TikTok for the people who don't know out there who aren't already aware of what, right. what are the gen... Zers Gen are doing Zers, these, yeah. these days. So TikTok is a social media platform, and it's uh, the largest growing platform right now. It's out of China, and it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it used to be branded as Musically. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like Vine, but with like music. Yeah. Basically, if y'all remember the app Vine. So oh, um, poor Vine. <laughs> yeah, it's always one company that starts the uh, right. the, the the system, and then Snapchat takes over, and then right. Well, it was like I remember when the live streaming, like Perch, was one of the first. 
live streaming apps and another one. Periscope. Periscope. Yeah. And then, boom, it was cannibalized by Facebook and, like, Twitter. And then Facebook ended well, up Well, Twitter bought out Periscope. Right. And, and I, then it never went anywhere. No. Right. And then mm-hmm. Facebook just copied live. And then, you know, like they've done with Instagram stories yeah. for Snapchat and all that stuff. So TikTok, um, going back to that, it's basically a social media app that uses video and um uh, music to kind of create stuff and it's uh, really interesting because I have an account now and so I'm constantly like now I'm consuming it right I want to see and it's there's a lot of trends going on there so it's I know Chipotle did a really cool campaign where they you know uh, got David Dobrik who's an influencer and they came up with because the other thing with TikTok is you have the Gen Z crowd there right mm-hmm. and those are like the digital natives who are very affluent when it comes to like BS in that space right they yeah, see they an ad they're user like, interface. Yeah, and yeah. Like, oh, this exactly. interface is really yeah. mad. Like, they're, exactly. They're the test, the great yeah. testing. They're the UX and UI snobs, <laughs> right? So, um, so Chipotle did a really great camp, like a native to that platform, what they called endemic, which is a term I'd never heard, but basically creating content native. And they did like a, a flip challenge, like a lid flip challenge for their burrito bowls. And it blew up like the, the I don't know the exact numbers, but. Um, it was, was it almost like the bottle flip competition? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. So it was like the lid flip and people were trying to flip their lid on their bowl or, or whatever. So uh, it was really interesting. So. Yeah, going back to the trends, just, you know, reading and then, of course, leaning on partners like you guys, you know, so that was kind of what we talked through today is, you know, how are we um, continually positioning ourselves uh, in the best spot, right? Because the competition is super, um, you know, intense nowadays, right? You have just digital shops, then you have traditional shops who now have a digital arm, and then you got, you know, just very niche, you know, firms out there. So one of the big things for us is like, how do we continuously be a thought leader for our clients um, and find ways to implement new strategies to give them, you know, the edge up just like TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. Like with our client, um, you know, Alamo colleges, you know, is that something we explore for them? Because Gen Z is going to eventually filter in there. But then you have the challenges is like, okay, how do you start creating content? Like, how do you build the infrastructure, you know, for that? Because you're already balancing Facebook, Instagram, you know, all that stuff. And so um, those are, you know, some of the challenges, I think. It's hard to stay up, but then also, you know, once you get that information, then how do you give it to the client? Like, how do you you just throw it all at them? I mean, that's got to be a strategy that you'll have to place in. Yeah, I think with that, you want to be careful in what you, because if you give them too much, then they're just going to go over their head. If you give them too little, then it's not going to feel flushed out enough. So I think, um, and that's the other thing, we need to learn, you know, what the best metrics are to share. Because like, you know, with like a, a digital banner campaign, we could share like, all sorts of crazy, you know, uh, metrics of that, or like a search campaign or whatever, or like Facebook social campaign, you know, they have all these different engagement metrics. Yeah. Yeah. Viewability. Yeah. So it comes down to like, you know, I guess defining like KPIs and then, you know, making sure that, you know, you're finding the, the right statistics to, to support that. Um, but yeah, merchandising, you know, those types of things to clients is huge. And again, we lean on, um, our vendors a lot to help us with that because we try to be experts in as many spaces as we can, but I think you reach a certain cap when you're, you know, touching so many things. So it's nice to have, 
guys like you all to be able to bounce ideas off. Like we had a great lunch and we were talking about, you know, all sorts of different, you know, ideas. And then so many things came to light that we weren't thinking of initially, you know, in terms of targeting or, you know, how we can do X, Y, and Z. So. Well, you mentioned that, yeah, relying on on true experts or or valuing that uh, can increase a campaign or increase a KPI and and really accomplish that goal. Uh, With that said, I guess, how do you really start that process with the client when you bring somebody on is the and they're going to need your full suite of services mm-hmm. uh, what's your first step or do you just have a client needs analysis or are you trying to typically win the business like how does that uh, approach really work well Anderson has a pretty um, tried and true way I guess that they do that when we get on when we go through an RFP and we win a client we spend um, maybe some a couple of days sometimes in like a true immersion where we really learn about like what is your business what are your goals we learn about your operations we learn about your like any kind of issues that you might have with personnel or or you know things like that so that we completely understand what it is that their their you know opportunities are that they have within what they're working with and then learn about how we can help them through marketing to help them and understanding that you know if you do have operational issues you may not want to be driving that many more people into your restaurant or you know things like that so or if the website's not optimized. Exactly. Or, or like you that. don't have a website, which is crazy. <laughs> wow. It happens yeah. too. Yeah. And so um, learning those sorts of things so that you that you can start to help them build a better platform for themselves and then try to, because you don't want to drive people to a place that's broken. You know, so we, we'd spend a couple of days sometimes learning, trying to learn those things. And, Are and they then, always accommodating to that? You know what? For the most part, they are because I think they, they really, really want us to help them because they want to change their situation and they know that marketing and advertising can help them do that. But unless you, you know, you you have to understand that your baby might be ugly before you can <laughs> fix it and, and make it different or, you know what I mean? So I, I think most of them are pretty receptive. We really don't have many people, um, you know, there's some people are reluctant to share like deep sales data with us and stuff like that but while other people just email us their you know weekly daily sales and we track on that for them and we understand that they're up or they're down and we we're truly involved in what that means like we if your sales are down well, what's going on is there something you know is it operational is it you know for whatever reason so we and i think they appreciate that about us um so that immersion session is i think really the key to having a really good long relationship because then you can you realize that you can really just share and say anything and it's in a safe place and we're just trying to help them grow and, and be better and that in turn helps us too so we, we, that's that's a big differentiation i think yeah we really pride ourselves on being like true partners you know and that's one of the things that kim our president president always drives home is that you know we want to be here as a true partner and work with you we don't want to be you know a vendor to where you know we're just trying to sell you stuff right we want to make sure whatever we're offering you is has meaning and that you're on board with it and that you understand it and you feel comfortable with it you know so i think that's another kind of big aspect to it do you think it's difficult to i mean historically working with agencies um over the period of my career i know that it can be sometimes difficult to always just do what the client says you know client knows best how often are y'all instructing them or educating them um and are they pretty open to that or sometimes are they trying to dictate a little too much i mean is there like a magic sweet spot that you kind of have to hit with them i think Uh, we're pretty fortunate like well at least my client list they all trust us immensely so they're always looking for our recommendations um 
And don't get me wrong, our clients will, you know, have strong opinions on something and want to go forth with it. And we'll bet it, we'll go through it and, you know, and it'll all be fine. But there is times where you have to have those tough conversations and push back and say, you know, hey, we really don't feel like this. We're in a situation with that right now, right? Where we're, you know, saying like this probably not might not be the best route. You know, I know y'all have been doing it for years, um, but let's just take a step back and evaluate it and think about it, right? Um, so, cause in a lot of times you find it when like different like campaigns have like legacy sort of say, right? Something that's been there forever. So when you're challenging the process, that's when it can be difficult. But, um, I think also, you know, you need to know when it's okay to press and when it's not okay. You know, sometimes you pick your battles on things. Um, but other times, you know, if we have a case study on it or we know that something is not going to work, then you know, I think we're pretty, you know, firm about it. And that's why I think our clients also, you know, trust us and, and believe in us. And I'm really lucky. All my clients are, you know, pretty much like you guys are the experts. You let us know kind of what we need to do or they'll bring us an idea and say, how do we, you know, bring this to light? You know, um, and we'll, you know, figure it out. So do you all look for anything in particular for your vendors? So as an agency, you just mentioned, you know, there's some things that you know yeah. other companies are experts in. What what do you look for as an agency to, to like vet out potential vendors? Because that always happens. I mean, there's... Well, I, I, I look for transparency and honesty. I can tell when someone's lying to me. If I even ask you questions and you can't answer them, or you have to get someone else to answer them for you, and then I never ever hear from you again, then yeah, that's a problem too. Because I get phone calls and emails and all sorts of solicitation daily. People get mad at me because I don't return every, you know, email I get about, you know, this, that, or the other. But we've we formed some really good solid relationships with, with vendors that we that we like to use as go to people because then when I want to learn something you know, my vendor will take the time to explain it to me. Like you guys do a real good job. If I if I have a question about what does this mean and what is this new thing and how does it work, they take the time to spend with me 20, 30 minutes on the phone call and say this is what this means, this is what it does read this and or sends me send me relevant information that I can educate myself as well. So that's important to me. Transparency and honesty are probably the two biggest things. If I can't trust you. I'm, I don't want to have anything to do with you. That's the same thing with any radio station, television station, yeah. anybody. If I can't trust you, then I, I won't have anything to do with you. Is it yeah. becoming more difficult now with the digital space? And it seems like everybody has got their hands in it, um, even traditional mm -hmm. advertisers, I know. See, and that's unfortunate. I think that's sad because you can't be all things. You know, like you can't be really good at, at television sales and then like like they add on digital sales to them as if it's just some natural progression when it really isn't and that's how people get into trouble because you start to ask them questions about where those numbers come from or how, what about targeting and what about you know reporting and those sorts of things I'm like well we'll have to ask somebody else that's done in another place that's done in when you're like no you need to we need to know that you know what you're talking about and your numbers you know where your numbers originate from what they you know your your data comes from and all that sort of stuff so we try to deal with people who are real transparent as i say like we got this data from this third-party vendor or it's first-party data you know and and have a and can talk to you about those things when you ask those questions but when people can't answer those questions you realize that that's not a good idea not a good situation not a good idea so. it's it's interesting that you mentioned that there are a lot of big conglomerates uh the space of of actual local maybe 20 station operations that have gone by and, and the four or five big conglomerates own most of the mm -hmm. local affiliates or radio stations. 
Um, and with that said, there are shops, you know, where they don't really get to, to see the behind the, the scenes stuff. And while the AEs are unfortunately just kind of limited in that regard to really know what's going on with those questions that you might ask. Um, but that's that's unfortunately, like you said, that's kind of the, the case that we're in. Uh, what type of new, uh, I guess, tactics are the clients really looking into right now? I know you've, you mentioned TikTok as kind of a, that's really like on the, maybe the next year or so that's going to become a bigger thing and maybe that'll be something that uh but like what is it that agent that your clients are asking for right now in the space that they're like hey we, we need more of this i think the biggest like probably buzz thing for people is ott mm -hmm. i think people really like that um you know that's new that's interesting that they can that they're able to get into you know high profile programming in a local you know setting and, and have it reach a certain target so i think um, and there's a lot of confusion about OTT and, you know, the things that go involved in it and how much does it actually cover? How do you get in there? Are you really getting true OTT? Is it not just pre-roll? Those sorts of things. So I think that's probably the, the biggest right now. And there's a, lot, there's a lot of opportunity because video is such a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, being under, you know, understanding how, you're, how and where your spots and stuff are showing up and, and being able to make your client understand that and be transparent about that. that I think that's probably the biggest and I think, um, iron or I guess, yeah, ironically, uh, social is a, still another big one, like paid social strategy, because as you see, like the organic um, numbers just dwindle and the engagement is not there organically anymore. It's how are you pushing the envelope on the paid side? And then, you know, now with the opportunity of creating like funnels within Facebook, it's like, how are we serving different creative at different stages of the funnel? and you know scaling down to that audience and so um and then because facebook's taken away some of the targetabilities that we right. had just a few months ago exactly and so now we're hey we can't always do the same thing that we were doing months ago now the data restrictions are happening yeah and the other thing that I, w I guess it's not a tactic but one thing that um i'm focusing on and that our client some clients have asked in the past is like how do we use the data we're getting, right? Like how do we take this data and, and turn it around if, you know, and use it for uh, drip campaigns on emails, you know, for collecting emails? Like how do we, you know, take that next step once the campaign wraps, right? Because we paid for all this media and with that came all this data because everything is becoming data driven, right? It's like you can make so many, you know, decisions influenced on, you know, the different, um, segments you're you're getting so i think it's understanding how to use um all this data we're getting right because it's like we're getting it all and then like how do you first process it right and then how do you like pull out the the good stuff and then how do you use that good stuff to influence your next move or next strategy and how to optimize and really right. fulfill it now things change all the time and sometimes you do launch a campaign and with three sets of creative and right. you need to optimize towards that and what exactly. data will provide is it the engagement is it the conversion metric there's a lot of different factors that go into that so yeah. you knowing the clients and then working with your vendors or whoever it is that's you know giving you the data um you're right it's like you know where is there some ai algorithm one day that just deciphers all of that right and knocks us all uh useless <laughs> that's right we all need jobs after automation uh but i think there's always going to need need to be humans at the at right the, to sift through it all and, and see you know and like we were having an in interesting conversation earlier and i'm trying to remember um how it led to it but 
Um, it had to do with like native, native advertising and you know finding the right sites that are um, demo from our ad campaign engaged with, and then just fo focusing a native campaign there, right? So it's like the health industry, and we know a lot of these people are reading those types of sites. You know, maybe it might be a good idea to run some native, you know, on those yeah, we were talking uh, specifically. About, we were talking about like learning how to financial, like to be able to prepare for something so that we mm -hmm. can, instead of focusing on, like for a higher education cl client, instead of just focusing on those targets who are seeking higher education, sometimes you need to step back and look for people who are looking for financial information so that you can target them in that way and provide them with information about, mm -hmm. you know, financial health. How to make this happen. Yeah, and, yeah. This, and, and some new initiatives that we're trying to, that so people can, so that you can start to educate people on that these are options available to you that most people may not know are available to them. So instead of just sticking down one, you know, funnel for higher education and it all be about that target who's looking for higher education, sometimes you look back and think, well, you know, maybe if we attack it from a financial aspect you're still looking for financial I mean you might still want to go to college but this will teach you how you can do it and do it effectively and maybe not end up with so much debt or mm -hmm. that sort of thing and now that I'm thinking about one other strategy that's um, been a hot topic and important is like so now on social we have our feed we have our stories you know there's different opportunities to put creative in different places so like thinking about from the outset of a campaign if we know we're gonna have television radio uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, how are we taking that creative, like how are we taking our 30 second spot and making sure that it fits natively to stories or um, in the feed or um, a YouTube, how do we cut it down for a YouTube bumper ad, you know, things like that. So I think <clears throat> still, um, you know, a lot of brands are just taking like one piece of creative and just spreading it all over. But I think you see the more successful brands are actually creating the content native to that. And I think it's happening probably more in video, you know, right now, I think the kind of the single image uh, ads and carousels and stuff is, is pretty good, but it's mostly like, you know, video, how are you taking that asset and being able to spread it across multiple, you know, platforms? Is it taking like a long form three minute video and crunching it down to, you know, 10 different, you know, mini stories on your feed? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, is it taking it and uploading it to, um, you know, YouTube? Is it, you know, what are you doing kind of uh, with that? So I think creatively, thinking about how you can take one asset and stretch it across all those different mediums, not only for the sake of your budget, but to ensure that whatever is on that platform is native to it. Like we were talking about for TikTok and Chipotle, right? They could have ran just some random ad, but no, they got something that felt very native to the platform, and so it didn't feel so much like an ad, right? It just felt like another TikTok experience. That's great. So what, what advice would you give other agencies? Anybody who's maybe either entering into the field or somebody who's sitting there like, how do we... How do we make this a better operation? Not to say that you want to give away your uh, your secret sauce. Uh, we just have to come work for us. Right, let's come work at Anderson. Now, I would say um, I would say really think about it like culturally um, in like w like the work life balance aspect of it, right? Because you know I'm considered a millennial, right? But I'm. I'm We're really, on the elder side. Right, I'm on the elder side. And I was fortunate, like, my dad instilled, like, a very strong work ethic in me, you know. So I never was, like, looking, you know, for a handout. But I was looking for very specific things because I feel like my skill set was at a certain place and that, you know, I have a work ethic that I could be picky about where I want to go. You know what I mean? So 
Um, I think, you know, focus on like culture and how do you really um, make it a better place for your employees? Because we're spending most of our life <laughs> at these places. So how do you make it a place where like I wake up and I want to go to work? You know, mm-hmm. it's not like uh, I'm trying like maybe or do an hour and a half drive to Austin. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so like I like every Friday I wake up, I'm like in the best mood because I know I'll be home in like three hours. So I'm like, let's go, you know, and I get to work and I attack the day. And I get a bunch of stuff done and then it's time to go, you know, have a beer with the team or whatever. So I think, you know, it might be cliche to talk about, you know, the culture thing. But um, I would say, you know, really focus on that because there's still agencies out there that are like driving employees into the ground and they get burned out and they're resentful and, and, you know, um, all that stuff starts to happen. And the other thing um, that I'm really into, you know, that I would you know, encourage, you know, maybe agencies to do is like, you know, if there's people out there that are hungry for knowledge, you know, give them the opportunity to do that, whether it's going to like an FA conference or Adobe Max or something like that, because while like those things can be expensive, those that's where you can find like these nuggets of information that could position your agency as a thought leader. You know what I mean? Like, imagine going to, like, F8 when Stories was first dropping and understanding, like, what the specs were, how you're going to be able to use it, and then the next day your agency can hit the ground running, creating Stories, you know, for their own um, Facebook page as a place where they can have a playground. That's what we're kind of trying to start doing with TikTok right now. We've been throwing around the idea, like, how do we start an agency TikTok and how do we make it, you know, work? And so um, I think, you know, so culture and then educating, you know, or uh, nurturing that education for people who want to keep continue to keep learning, you know, because it is an investment. Um, yeah, you're investing, investing in these people. For sure. And that's how you're going to be able to challenge those processes and find something um, that other agencies aren't, you know, looking at. So. Very well said. Well, thank you so much, Dennis and Sylvia, for joining us here. Hopefully, the drive will, on the way back will be just as easy. Well, we're gonna, we have some podcasts that we're going to Yeah, we're going to check out some new podcasts we were just discussing, too. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what, well, you were talking about movies. What was your favorite movie that you've seen in the past? It's tw- it's 2019's been an interesting year. I don't know what, if I have a favorite movie this year. I can't even remember all, I, all that I've seen. Um, I go to movies a lot. My granddaughter is eight, and we go to see. I see a lot of children's movies. Toy Story so Four was probably one of my uh, favorite Story movies this year. Awesome. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> good. One. I didn't see um, that. We see a lot of movies, so they're all. The, the last one I saw was it was a great. It was a good movie, but it wasn't great. It was The Kitchen? Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah yeah yeah. That was good. It, it wasn't what I wanted it to be though. Yeah. I was really excited, but I hate it when movies when the, when the trailer is better than the movie, yeah. and that's kind of what happened. Like all the good parts happened in that trailer, and I didn't really need to see it. <laughs> but it was yeah. I enjoyed it. I'm drawing blanks on the movie, but I just um, binged Mine Hunters. Oh two yeah, on Netflix. Netflix. I'm like on episode five through season two. It's good. Oh yeah, it is. That's good. not Ryan. So, season two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good. The Charles Manson thing is interesting. Oh it was. So, so there's yeah. a sweet video out there. It's like a YouTube video with a side by side of the actual interview and then the interview that um was portrayed in oh the, really yeah and it's like it's it's Spot awesome on. yeah there's other ones like with ed kepner and those mm-hmm. are really spooky because of how like close they are it's yeah, like how demonic and yeah just creepy that guy yeah, is it's so. wild because like we grew up with all this like science and stuff in place but um learning like the origins of it, it and how like it only started in like the 60s and how nobody you know. really had any faith in it they all felt, felt like it was just like hogwash mm-hmm. like yeah. these guys are your behavioral science like whatever yeah <laughs> you know? yeah like mental, mental health, health that's a thing right, <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Okay. No, those are great recommendations. Well, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media. Q1 Media partners with agencies and brands all across the nation for all of their digital marketing needs, whether it's CTV, OTT, location-based, mobile device ID targeting, search engine marketing, targeted display, research and data that you might need for your clients, whatever it is, Q1 Media can help with all your marketing efforts. Uh, so yeah, please check out Q1 Media's website at q1media.com. That's q1media.com, and you can view case studies, examples of our work, or even check out episodes of The Q, the podcast, Conversations in Digital Media. 